If you're looking for inspiration and challenge in the world of early years and Key Stage 1 education, then you've just found it. Welcome to the Early Excellence Podcast. Hello, everybody. Andy Burt here. Welcome along to episode 66 of the Early Excellence Podcast. In this week's episode, we're joined by Dr. Nathan Archer. Nathan is the director of the International Montessori Institute at Leeds Beckett University. We discuss Maria Montessori, the impact of her work. We discuss Montessori settings and also how Montessori approaches have influenced EYFS education. So here you go. Here's my early excellence podcast chat with Dr. Nathan Archer. Okay, so um, I'm very, very pleased to be joined uh, today by Dr. Nathan Archer. Uh, Nathan, hello. How are you? Hi, Andy. Hi, very well, thanks. And yourself? I'm very well. Yeah, all good. All good. good. Uh, now, Nathan, of course, I know you from a few years ago when you used to work for Early Excellence and you have been very, very busy since you worked for Early Excellence, haven't you? Um, you are now Dr. Nathan Archer. And of course, you work at Leeds Beckett as the director of, Mon of the Mon Montessori Institute over there in Leeds, uh, the International Institute, I should say. Um, now, you're going to be talking to us all about Montessori, aren't you? And all about Maria Montessori and about that Montessori approach, which is fascinating, really interesting. Uh, before we start, would you mind giving us a bit of an introduction to yourself? Would that be all right? Yeah, by all means. And, and thanks very much for the opportunity to, to talk to you today, Andy. Um, so, yeah, as you as you say, um, I'm, I'm heading up an institute at Leeds Beckett, the International Montessori Institute. And I've kind of come full circle, really, because that's where I, I started my career in, in early years. So I initially trained as um, a Montessori teacher, both in early years and in primary. And I had the good fortune to work in, in an amazing centre for children from just a few months old through to the age of 12. So it's quite unusual to find Montessori education in, in, in the primary years in the UK, uh, but that was a, a wonderful opportunity. Um, and then uh, various roles after that in, in sort of training, in, in research, in, in policy work, uh, and then more recently moving on to um, this role, uh, studying Montessori education, researching Montessori education, and, and, and teaching others at, at Leeds Beckett. So that's a potted history to my background. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. And uh, and in terms of if we talk about Montessori, we have to start really in terms with the person, don't we? We have to start with mm -hmm. Maria Montessori, uh, where all of this started. So Maria Montessori, for people who for people who are listening in and they've not encountered the work of Maria Montessori or Montessori settings. Mm. If we start by thinking about Maria Montessori, can you give us a bit of a potted history? Yeah, no, sure. Right. Yeah, if you can. Yeah, so so I guess the story begins um, back at the end of the of the nineteenth century. So Montessori was. Um, an amazing character who had such a sort of rich and uh, uh, an amazing life, actually, as a real influence on education throughout the 20th century and beyond. So she was uh, one of the first women to graduate as a medical doctor from the University of Rome. 
she went on to, to study anthropology. She was uh, heading up a, a, a center for children with special ed- educational needs in, in, in Italy. Uh, she was an activist, a peace campaigner, uh, a sort of advocate for, for women's rights. And I think she is um, she's best known now for this kind of approach to to, to educating, particularly very young children, uh, which she developed um, at the beginning of the 20th century. So she was approached by um, officials uh, in the uni- in, in the city of Rome to work in a, a low-income area of the city. So it was a housing project behind the railway station, uh, social housing uh, that was, um, uh, as I say, quite sort of socially disadvantaged, really. And she was, was approached by these authorities to set up a nursery for the children of working parents who, who lived in this area. Um, an amazing story, really. She set up this full daycare provision all year round from eight till six uh, for children between the ages of, of, of three and six. And I, and I guess it's there that this this approach to to early education that we now call the Montessori approach was was born. Yeah, I, I was um, looking at some. I searched online Maria Montessori because I mm-hmm. I was aware that I knew a lot about Maria Montessori, but I didn't actually know what she looked like. Mm. So that sounds like an odd thing. But um, so I, I did a little search and I had a look. And what, what I thought was really interesting is that she doesn't fit the mold in terms of those Victorian photographs mm. that you'll see. You know, when you when you search for search her online, and if you're listening in, you're gonna do it. It's well worth doing. The the photographs of Maria Montessori, you, her personality comes across, I yeah. think. You know, yeah. it's such a lot within those photos. She, she, she is somebody who is clearly interested in lots. And, and, and when you read through, you know, kind of all of the things that she did, you know, she was, as you were saying, she was a physicist and, uh, and, and somebody who was interested in all sorts of different areas. Yeah. That, that actually you can see that in these photographs. I think she looks somebody, she looks like somebody who's fascinated by life. She really, Absolutely. she really does. And I know that sounds like a really odd thing to say, but I do think that's the case. You can see it in her. Absolutely. Um, the other thing, the, the thing that I thought was interesting about her life um, in the way that you've described mm. is in that I think if you compare that to, to, life, to life now and that sort of level of expertise now, mm. people tend to develop a level of expertise in one area. Mm. and then sticks to that area mm. whereas actually she didn't do that she was a, you know as you say a scientist and also somebody who was interested in education and activism and was a writer and you know she had so many different things going on yes yeah. i think it strikes me as very different to what most people do these days and maybe maybe very different to what people did at the time as well i don't know I, I think so, and I think she was discouraged from undertaking that that medical study by her own parents. So she came from a relatively well-off background, and I think <laughs> highly unusual for a young woman of that era to, yeah. to go into a medical profession. But as you say, during the course of her life, all those different interests and passions almost culminated and came together in this, this what we now call the Montessori approach. So she was drawing on that understanding of the body, of the mind, of um uh, uh, of young children of, of rights as well of, of human rights and and you can see all of those uh, kind of 
culminating really in this approach to working with young children so yeah absolutely and it does shine through in the photographs as well yeah yeah absolutely absolutely so um just before we move on to the, the kind of the montessori approach if you like mm. can you can you tell us going back to kind of your own experience can you tell us a, a bit more about the kind of that work uh, kind of in your the early stages of your career um, within a Montessori setting? Because I'm, I'm always aware that actually that would be very different to what many people will have experienced, potentially. Yeah. So what was that like? Is it, so tell, tell us about kind of your, your early work. Sure. So it was really interesting. And I think important to say that um, Montessori education um, is it looks very different in different countries around the world. Yes. And in, in some countries, you'll find it as part of the public education system. So if we went to the Netherlands or Austria or Thailand, it, it, it's a, a core part of kind of state education. Whereas historically in the UK, people will probably be more familiar with it as something that's offered in the private and voluntary sector and specifically in early years. So, um, I feel that not as many people have had the opportunity to experience Montessori education as they might in other parts of the world. But my own early experiences were were also quite interesting in that I was working in in a in a disadvantaged area of, of of England, and I think quite often Montessori education is perceived to be in more affluent areas, and I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. So um, I was working with quite a sort of social mix of children in what was then a neighbourhood nursery for those colleagues who remember um, when neighbourhood nurseries as a programme was developed. Um, and so that in itself was really interesting because we had some children coming to us for um, just their funded hours and other children with us all year round, you know, in, in, in kind of longer sessions. So a real diverse community we were working in. Um, and I had the opportunity to work with this amazing approach to early education um, with with children from all all, all different backgrounds, um, and after undertaking the the early early childhood Montessori teacher training, I decided to to go on and and do the primary training, which just blew my mind really in terms of how a curriculum might be created, which which starts from a child's interests and um, offers children the whole world really, rather than maybe being restricted by by subject knowledge compartments. So yeah, it was um, it was a, a real revelation for me as a as a way to work with young children. Yes, yeah, yeah, that sounds fascinating. I think what's always interesting to me whenever we talk about kind of, I suppose, different approaches that. To a certain extent, whilst they are different approaches, there are always big overlaps as well. Mm. So, so say if we were to talk about, say, uh, Reggio Emilia settings, mm. okay, and that kind of child-centered practice, there would be overlaps between between Reggio Emilia and um, and Montessori work. Mm. There'd be there, if we were to talk about, say, Steiner schools mm. um, as well. Each one has its own specific way of working mm. and at the same time has certain overlaps because you're talking about working from the child generally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, and the observing children, working from the children, working from what their interests are and building an approach around that mm. and, and, and informed by child development. And yes. I think that's really interesting. And yes. it's, it's something that for me as a teacher, I, I, in terms of my practice, I think I came at it in a slightly different way in that I felt that I didn't necessarily respond to research as such. 
probably did, but I didn't I didn't feel that I was at the time. Mm. But that I kind of did what I felt was right within the classroom. It felt right in terms of the children and what I could see the children doing felt right. It felt that that, that their engagement was right. Mm. And that from doing that over a period of time, I then started to become interested in what other approaches are there out there mm. and was really interested to find that actually so many of those approaches were in some way similar. You know, they started at the same point. Yes. Yes. So, does I, that make sense? I don't it, know. It, it does. It absolutely does make sense. And as you say, although there are some fairly fundamental differences in those approaches, such as Reggio, Steiner, etc., that 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 there are those overlaps. And starting from the child, I think, is one of those key points: the yes. respect for the child, the respect for where the child is at that moment in time, and rooted in child development, as you say. So, yes. um, I wouldn't want it to be thought of as, as a sort of exclusive approach or methodology, because I think so much of it has entered mainstream understanding and knowledge um, of good early childhood practice. Yes, absolutely. And the other thing that I think is interesting is that sometimes those the kind of different approaches are, are definitely known positively and thought about positively, mm. but can sometimes become... Um, probably wrongly synonymous with um, uns- being unstructured mm. when actually that's not always the case. Does that yes. make sense? So I'm, make- I'm, I'm thinking more than having mentioned Steiner, I'm thinking more about Steiner, that kind of Steiner approach. Mm. I, I went to visit, when I, as I say, I became interested in different approaches and went to visit a Steiner nursery, mm. a Steiner school, sorry, um, that was local to the school that I was teaching at. And, and was you know, felt really privileged to to have that opportunity to go and to visit and to spend time within within the the learning environment with the children and 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 the, and the staff. Mm. And I, I wrongly went into went to the visit feeling or thinking that what I was going to be going into was something very very unstructured. Mm. And what I actually encountered was something that was structured but structured in a very gentle way. Yes. Just, and, yeah. and and I think quite often we talk about structure as in a timetable, mm. as in you do, you're doing this, then you're doing this, and then we're moving on to this. Mm. And what I found was that in the Steiner approach, that the there was a time, there was kind of a timetable, but it was done differently. It was done in a way in a way that had well-being kind of more at its heart. They, mm. they, I think the staff and thinking back to this, they, they talked to me about how what they try to do is that they do breathing in opportunities and breathing out opportunities. Okay. They would do something that they felt would relax the children, mm-hmm. followed by something that perhaps might be more stimulating mm. and, and so on. And, and they were thinking about different ways of organising time, yes. not around a subject area or around a particular idea of what we're learning, but yes. around the children and how they feel. Yeah. I think that's really interesting, Andy, yeah, because I think your first point about these kind of preconceptions and misconceptions that we might have um, in in Montessori education, it's often seen as either really strict or really kind of a bit of a free for all. And and I would argue it's neither, you know, it it is very much in the middle. 
But your point about time, I think, is really, really important. And there's some amazing work coming out of Alison Clark's uh, study that you might well be familiar with about slow pedagogy. Yes. And, and for me, that really resonates with Montessori because traditionally in a Montessori setting, you would have a work cycle of two and a half to three hours, which are uninterrupted, you know, and children have that time and space within that work cycle to make choices and to, to concentrate and persist and really, really immerse themselves in an act Activity. And I think that's that's really important and a key feature of one story. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you've you've personally you've built up that experience of Montessori, of that Montessori approach, you know, right from the very start of your career, which must must have been fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of that approach, then let's go into it in a bit more depth. Okay. So if if we were to, you know, if, if we were to walk into a, a Montessori setting, okay, mm-hmm. and and spend, say, some time, maybe maybe a day or half a day within within their Montessori setting, mm-hmm. what would we see? What would be a typical sort of thing that we would see? What what would the day be like? Sure. Well, first of all, I would encourage listeners to go and do that exactly because I think there's there's nothing like immersing yourself in that kind of environment and experiencing it firsthand. So whilst I can kind of try and describe it, you know, you have to you have to go and see it really lived. But if I was to try and summarize it, I think some of the key features are that it would be a very quiet and calm environment. You not necessarily silent, but you would hear that kind of quiet buzz of activity that you know would show that children were engaged and and uh, and and. and fully kind of immersed in their their choices and you would see some children working on their own you'd see some children working in pairs or small groups very rarely would you see whole group activity um, in terms of the environment, you would see, um, you know, lots of activities on open shelves as is good early childhood practice for children to sort of make their choices and return that activity. Um, you would see the adult uh, more in the role of an enabler or a guide. And they're often called a director or a directress, which I think sort of sums up that sort of supportive role. And they would often be presenting an activity to a child and then a child would work with that independently. Um, so there's some of the key features, but hopefully you would see a, a space that was um, respectful, calm, ordered. The, the order of the environment is quite key um, and, and children just engaged and concentrating and enjoying their learning, I think. Yeah. Fascinating. OK, so and certainly in terms of Maria Montessori, the she was fascinated. She was really interested in that range, wasn't she? That sort of range of experience for young children. Mm. So um, I remember reading that she was very interested in things like sort of, you know, having a pet, mm. or looking, you know, looking after a pet. Yeah. Or kind of also the, the kind of the physical experience as well of, of kind of, of, of that um, looking after the body. Yes. Yeah. That sort of, um, I suppose, that kind of being healthy and yes. looking after yourself. Yeah. Um, that personal health, I suppose, mm. um, and also the the kind of sort of looking after your surroundings. And I'm sure I read somewhere that she she was very keen that they made that 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 look that children would look after their own surroundings, so they would have things like you know sweeping brushes, yeah, within yeah. within the setting, and you know those sorts of things, which I got the impression actually up until that point actually hadn't really been thought through that the idea that actually children will tidy away and clean up yeah yeah self-care 
Yeah. So the, the the idea of care of self, care for others and care for the environment is a sort of three main main prongs of the approach. And so in terms of self-care, and there's an area of the classroom that's called um, areas for uh, everyday living or practical life. And that includes things such as, um, as you say, those equipment to to help sort of keep the space clean and tidy but it's also there are dressing frames so children learn how to do different fastenings uh children might learn how to sort of um pour uh you'll see trays with with jugs of like rice and then water so they're kind of honing that those fine motor skills as well as the ability to sort of you know kind of care for themselves in terms of kind of uh food and drink etc so um lots of resources and lots of activities that are focused on that independence independence is absolutely key to the approach but also care for their immediate environment as well and, and making sure that that's um that's a clean appropriate respectful space for, for for other other children as well and i guess that's about learning to live in community as well at a really early age yeah. You mentioned before, you know, that sort of being having a calm space was something mm. that, that you would tend to find within a Montessori setting. Yes. Um, and I, I guess what many people will sort of be interested in is, is how is that achieved? You know, how do we get to that, mm. that feeling of calm within a setting? Because, of course, an, an earlier setting is a, is a quite typically very busy, quite bustly kind of space. Yeah. But of course, it can be a calm space. Yes. So, so how you know how do we get there? I think is something that I think is quite interesting to think. It's it's a good question and a big question as well, isn't it? It's a yeah. whole challenge, really. I guess the, the first point really is about the immediate physical environment. So in a in a conventional Montessori setting, you wouldn't necessarily see lots of wall displays, and um, you wouldn't see um, a lot of distraction, and you would see lots of um, neutral colours. And, and again, a lot of this has entered mainstream good practice, hasn't it, in terms of um, natural materials, open wooden shelves. And I think the focus is very much on those materials and resources rather than any sort of, you know, uh, other distraction in the classroom, really. But then it's also about routines as well. So encouraging children to um, to concentrate and become immersed in activities for a period of time. Um, and that's about the expectations that the adults set and that children have of each other, really. So it, it's it's a work in progress. I think, yes, yes. Yeah, so it's yeah. a kind of a combination of different things, isn't it? It's part yeah. of the, the surroundings. So yes. not overloading the children with lots of bright colours. Yeah. Um, and that's quite a typical thing, isn't it? That's yeah. just the, 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 the thinking more about the natural space. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then alongside that, I suppose it's it's partly the relationships and yeah. the expectations. Yes. That, um, within that space and also, I, I think you're right, and you know that that idea of having the the, the children being engaged for longer periods of time mm. actually tends to bring down the noise level, doesn't it? The, yeah, it's often transitions that make the noise. Yes, yeah. Think, in my experience, anyway, I yeah. you know that it's often actually once you stop the children and then say, right, we're doing this next, the yes. noise level goes up again. Yeah, and then gradually it will decrease until the next time you stop them. And you say, right, it's tidy up time, and then it's noisy again. Yes. But, but if you keep stopping them every 10 minutes, you've got basically lots of noise being added in all of the time. Yeah. No, that's Whereas a good point. Gen generally, children get, because as they become more engaged, mm. not all the time, but generally, 
it will start to get quieter because yeah. children will have more purposeful conversations with with a child who's nearer to them mm. rather than some rather than kind of moving around the space as much. Yeah. yeah, that's a good observation. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah. so I, I think probably that goes hand in hand with what you were saying is that that kind of the, the Montessori approach is very much about the child being interested in something and then being engaged in it over a long, ideally over a longer period of time. Yes. And if we build towards that, and I guess that will help the space feel calmer. Yeah. It will lead to that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and also, I think um, encouraging children not to necessarily interrupt others if they are immersed in something, you know, that that's all part of kind of um, setting the the convention and the tone, I think, of the classroom, that that's that there's a respect, I suppose, for that concentration that, that's happening. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've mentioned some of these things already. Um, but what I was interested in is, is that idea of in terms of today's practice, mm. you know, we've, we've got and of course, Montessori is today's practice. So, so, you know, there are, I suppose, two different things going on here. But in terms of, I suppose, um, general practice across mm. most, most schools and settings and earliest, earliest settings, what, what we, do you see within earlier settings or earlier practice that you, that you think, do you know what, that has come from mm. Montessori? You know what that that has that's absolutely been fed through from Montessori and the Montessori approach, and that's become now mainstream. Yeah, what sorts of things have you know? You know would you would you pick out? I, I guess there are sort of two or three things that initially come to mind, and the first is about the importance of movement on on learning. Mm. So I think that the way in which in the Montessori classroom children move about to choose their activities and then choose to either work with them on the floor or on a mat or on the table is really important in terms of cognition. And there's an amazing book by an author called um, Angeline Stoll-Lillard called The Science Behind the Genius, where she uses contemporary research to sort of um, uh, underpin and, and sort of justify this this kind of thinking about about movement so the idea that children can move around the early childhood classroom and make their choices i think is is is, is key to montessori and key to general good practice the second i guess is about being able to repeat an activity to go back to resources and to to sort of tap in to children's engagement and motivation to to return to something that 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 interests them and that they are willing and interested to, to repeat there's a there's a kind of motivation there that that's key in a montessori classroom that again is is good practice i think mm. Um, and then I suppose that the, the third one is about the importance of observation by the early years teacher. That's obviously key to what we do on a daily basis, isn't it? But the 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 importance of that observation, I think, is inherent in, in Montessori education as well. Yeah, interesting, really interesting. So yeah, there are lots of things, aren't there? Mm. I was also thinking as well as I mean, just as I was asking asking you the question, really, that lots of you know, in lots of ways, Maria Montessori was ahead of her time. Mm. In, in that, it strikes me that a lot of what we're talking about here, in terms of that Montessori approach, mm. is about yes, it's about experiences and about what you see, but it's about the quality of the learning process that we're talking mm. about, not what's being learned as such. So, mm. not not the kind of a well, this is what the child will learn at this stage. And they yeah. need to learn this. 
yes or you know a particular topic or a particular concept but the quality of the learning process is what's mm. being talked about here in terms of Montessori Yes. And that she was she must have been well ahead of her time in talking about levels of engagement, you know, concentration being key. Yes. You know, at a time when you think that actually, you know, the what the the the, the early nineteen hundreds say, that actually, you know, you're talking about a, a Victorian system of education where mm. actually you're talking very much about about a subject and about yeah. a this is what we are teaching and this is the subject. Mm. And yeah, actually, Montessori is going the opposite, complete mm -hmm. opposite end of the spectrum here and talking about child development. Yes. And in order for learning to take place, certain things need to be key to the practice. Yeah. yeah. So to me, that, that engagement or concentration is key. Yes. First of all, before you've got all of that, you've got to have the concentration. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that to me, it strikes me that actually she's well ahead of her time with that. You know, that we're... And quite rightly so, is still very interested in the work of, say, Professor Ferralavas, mm -hmm. who's kind of worked, I don't know when he started, but sort of, sort of from the kind of what, 80s and 90s through, mm -hmm. through to now, working mm -hmm. on well-being and involvement. All key work, but actually, you know, you could say actually Montessori started talking about concentration and levels of observation, level, levels of concentration, before, you know, long before that. Yeah, really interesting absolutely. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Also makes me think about and Mahaili's work about flow as well, which yes. is obviously much more contemporary. But in many ways, Montessori was was thinking about that a hundred years ago, as you say. So yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I was. It also made me think when you mentioned about re re the repetitive nature of learning, mm. of, of how key that is, mm. and that for many for many schools and settings. It's quite interesting that at the moment, lots of schools and settings are really thinking about that returning to learning mm. idea. Mm. Um, particularly, I think, you know, Ofsted have talked a lot recently about that kind of idea of learning, learning only really happening when, um, kind of to paraphrase what Ofsted was saying, that basically that idea that, that learning is, has only really taken place if, if that has been remembered. Right. Yeah, that over time, that learning over time kind of idea, mm. which is contentious to a certain point, but interesting to think about that actually, if we are going to go along with that idea, then then you we then need to consider that actually learning can't just be taught in one block or in one mm. week or even a two week period, mm. because that's not going to work for young children. That's going to be gone within, you know, by the time you get to the next holiday. Yes. Whereas, whereas actually that repetitive learning that we've been talking about yeah. surely stands a much better chance of that learning being embedded over time and, and crucially being meaningful. Yes, indeed. And, and I think this goes back to, to the point and the work that you do, Andy, about continuous provision. So in many mm. ways, that's what a Montessori environment is. They call it the prepared environment, but, but it is a form of continuous provision in a way. And so the opportunities to be able to return to the same resources to consolidate concepts, I think mm. that's really key, really, really important. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was fascinated, actually. I was reading... Um, on when I when I looked online or on on Maria Montessori and was looking at the photographs of her, one of the things that I, I spotted in there was a little biography of, of her, a little bit of information, and one of the things that it, it talked about was the um, uh, was furniture mm. within the Montessori 
uh, within Montessori settings. And mm. that that in terms of Maria Montessori's work, one of the things that she did was she, she looked at the size of furniture within an early year setting or a school setting for young children and, and kind of revolutionised that approach in thinking about, well, actually, the furniture needs to be the height of the children. Yes. It needs to be so they can access it. It needs yes. to be at their height. So the chairs need to be there their size of chairs the, the tables need to be at their size mm. which it struck me that probably before that people hadn't really thought about that that they were probably spaces for adults and the children were there in amongst that rather yeah. than a setting for the children yeah is, it's Absolutely. so interesting isn't it when you yeah. think that actually so much that we have now within our earlier settings is based on that approach, isn't it? Yeah, we take all that for granted now, don't we? That that's that's yeah. how we resource an environment. But there's an amazing story of when Montessori went over to the States and was working with John Dewey to develop Montessori schools over there. And she went shopping in, in New York for child-sized furniture and she couldn't find any at all. So that was the impetus for designing the resources that are a child height that, as I say, we now take for granted. So, yeah, um, yeah quite revolutionary, really. But, um, yeah, it's huge, huge progress yeah fantastic well nathan it's been fabulous to talk to you really really interesting as always and uh yeah thank you ever so much for, for giving us your time uh and and giving us the opportunity to chat to you about about montessori and about the, the montessori approach really really interesting stuff and um, all the very best with your work i know that you've got a really exciting role uh, there at leeds beckett um working internationally of course um, around Montessori education. It sounds fascinating. And so, yeah, all the very best with your role. Um, it sounds really, really interesting. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Andy. And uh, yeah, if anyone's interested in in kind of finding out more, there's a website for the Montessori Institute at Leeds Beckett. You're welcome to, to drop by and take a look. Fantastic. What we'll do, Nathan, is we'll, we'll put a link in the podcast information Brilliant. so that um, that will take take people straight to uh, your website so that people can find out more information. Um, and yeah, anything you want to, to want, want us to add on to that, we can do that. That's okay. Great. Thanks, Andy. Thanks so much. Really right. appreciate it. It is a pleasure. Lovely to speak yeah. to you, Nathan. All you the too. Best. Look after yourself. Okay. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. It is. Bye. So there you go. Thank you very much to Dr. Nathan Archer for joining us on the podcast this week. And also, of course, to you people for listening along as well. I hope you found our discussions interesting and useful. Um, that's about it for this week. Have a great week, everybody.